Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. That hymn is a great lead-in to our call to confession. God is a pardoning God indeed, and we need to be aware of our sinfulness and be undone before Him. So God's Word always does that for us. It convicts us of our sins. Let's turn to Galatians 5 and read there God's Word. Now you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Christ saves us into liberty, and we are to use that freedom to serve others. But we usually take two other paths. The path of legalism, where we define our faith by rules that aren't in the Bible, or the path of loose license, where we indulge sin. And sometimes we take the path of license to convince ourselves we aren't legalists. Sometimes we take the path of legalism to convince ourselves that we truly follow God's law. Both of these paths lead to biting and devouring other Christians, instead of loving them. You might condemn others for not following your rules, or you might neglect others in your selfishness. But do we think of liberty leading to love? The lust of the flesh can be indulging the flesh, or it can be indulging pride that sets us up, uh, sets up rules, and you convince yourself that you are meeting those rules. Uh, we can turn away from license. We can turn away from legalism to love your God and to love your neighbor. So with that, let's confess our sins. Please kneel if you are able and we'll pray. weeks here to consider this theological triage phrase that I mentioned last time, uh, where we uh, try to put together uh, some kind of grid of what's most important, what's uh, less important. We looked at the core level last week, things that are uh, essential to the gospel, like the atonement of Christ, uh, the Trinity, these kinds of things. We looked at the confessional level next, things that tend to define local congregations, uh, like Reformed theology, we considered such things. And now this week we have personal conviction issues. Uh, so C.S. Lewis has used this analogy of uh, the gospel being like a house that we live in. Uh, and we each, we're comfortable in our own bedrooms or in, in our unique living room. And the gospel is the house in general, but we find ourselves living in the same house with other believers who think differently than us. And so Lewis likes to use the analogy of a a bedroom where I'm I'm most comfortable in this room. And that's kind of the level two issue, uh, those kinds of things. This is the way we think of it. Uh, This is the the room that that we're in. But we need to get it out into the rest of the house once in a while and interact with those other believers who think not like us. So that's that kind of level two issue as well. Uh, And now this week what we'll talk about is uh, on level three, this conviction level, 
when we're living in the same uh, kind of uh, living quarters together as believers who think basically like-mindedly, we have to be careful not to put up additional fences uh, between one another. Uh, The basic point here is to lovingly receive other Christians who disagree with us on doubtful things. And that's the first point this morning. What are doubtful things? Uh, I was reading from the ESV just now this morning, uh, and the end of verse 1 of our text uses the word opinions. Uh, the New King James uses there doubtful things. Doubtful things. Uh, and uh, that's this category of issues we're going to talk about. Uh, anything that Scripture doesn't address directly or that can't be inferred from Scripture clearly, uh, Paul calls these doubtful things or opinions. I've chosen the name personal convictions, uh, partly because then I've got nice three C's, core and confession and conviction, because we need to realize, too, though, that we often have strong opinions about things, convictions, use use that terminology, but it's still a minor issue in the grand scheme of things. And that's something that... Uh, we, we talk sometimes about uh, people out in the world today who are so selfish, who just think that whatever they think is right it has to be, right? We, we can think the same way. If I had a strong feeling about something, it must be really important because I'm having a strong feeling about it. It's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it's, it's just my feelings that are messed up, and I'm making something minor too major. So we'll talk quite a bit about that this morning. Now, it's easy on this level of things, this conviction, third level, uh, to kind of sidestep the difficulty of this one by, uh, by making the jokes about the color of the carpet, right? Now, this church can't get along. They divide over things like the color of the carpet or what color the hymnals are going to be. Uh, that's not the kind of issue that Scripture is talking about. Uh, when you look at what Paul's talking about here in Romans 14 and how long he talks about it, this is pretty significant stuff. As I was reading again just this morning, the sermon text, uh, just a moment ago, it, it just struck me again. This is the book of Romans. R- Romans is a heavy theological, uh, packed with deep, essential insight kind of stuff for, for, uh, for 11 chapters. And then Paul turns in Romans 12 to how we need to live together. And he spends the last third of this book of Romans basically talking about how essential it is that we receive one another, and that we love each other. You always think of Romans as the the heavy theological work. But you've got over a chapter here just devoted just to this issue of make sure you get along when you disagree on doubtful things. That's uh, how important this is. So Paul's dealing here in verse 2. Let's think about the context. What's he actually talking about? He's dealing with eating certain foods. And we always get a bit of a chuckle at the the weak person who eats only vegetables, right? Verse 2. So whatever dietary thing's going on right now, there's usually some way to make a joke about that. But uh, uh, the the point here is you had a lot of uh, Roman Christians who were former idol worshipers who could not imagine continuing to eat meat sacrificed to idols. That's what I left behind. And most of the meat in the city has been consecrated to some idol or another. You go to the local Walmart, there might be a label right on there that says dedicated to Artemis. Something like that is, is the general idea of what's going on. So, well, I'm not, I'm not taking that. I'm eating only vegetables. Paul calls that issue a doubtful thing. This is not just color of the carpet kind of stuff. Right? This is a serious, hmm, how should we live kind of issue. 
Some people would have strong personal convictions about this. But the Bible doesn't say eating meat sacrificed to idols like that, in that kind of secondhand way, is wrong. Now, Paul does, of course, say, don't go into the temple of Dionysius and go to their feast and party with them. Right? But that's a different issue than uh, eating what's secondarily uh, dedicated to an idol in the, temp- in the marketplace. So Paul says here instead, verse 14, he, he says very clearly that this is not a sin. I'm persuaded that nothing is unclean in itself. So, so uh, this isn't a major thing that's worth forcing someone's conscience over, Paul says. In other words, if you've got a new Christian who just came out of Artemis worship, and you set before them some meat sacrificed to Artemis, you know in your head that's not really a thing, that's not a problem. But for them, it could very much be a problem. So be careful not to stumble one another. Another issue, starting in verse 5 of our text, was probably observing Passover or other Jewish feasts. Jews who became Christians couldn't imagine not keeping Passover while the temple was still standing. Peter and John go to the temple to pray in Acts 3. Paul goes there years later in Acts 21 and pays for sacrifices to be offered. But as the apostles receive the book of Hebrews, the church, I mean, receives the book of Hebrews, they begin to realize they don't really need temple worship anymore. The temple comes crashing down in 70 AD anyway. But if you can't make that adjustment at the drop of a hat in 40 AD that Paul says to the Jewish Christians, to the Gentile Christians, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Wow. Again, that's a pretty significant issue, but it's a doubtful matter, Paul's saying. And again, that may surprise you, but there are issues like these on which the Bible gives a right answer, right? Everything's unclean. You can eat all that meat that's secondarily offered to some idol, and then you buy it secondhand. It's fine. And then Paul says... There's a right answer, but if our conscience leads us to different practices and views, just let it be and live graciously with the difference with one another. That's the level three kind of issues. See, you can't do that with level one issues, right? Well, my conscience leads me to say that uh, the atonement is a bunch of nonsense. Well, then your conscience is wrong, and we're going to have to separate uh, in fellowship over that. That's a bigger issue. But whether you eat meat sacrificed to Artemis or not, is not that kind of issue. Now, those are two examples that are pretty obscure, uh, but in this category are all kinds of issues that we face today. So here's where I get in trouble again with my lists. I gave you a list last week, and uh, try a few of these on for size. Uh, Brace yourself. See what you think of a a list like this. I think these are all level three kind of issues, where there may be a right answer as you search scripture, uh, but we may disagree, and we probably ought to let that disagreement be. What kind of rock music is it okay to listen to, if any? Uh, when I'm feeding my newborn baby, breastfeed or formula? If, if I have a child who decides they're going to dye their hair pink, what do I do about that? Can we drink alcohol or not? When I uh, engage in apologetics, should it be the presuppositional approach or the classical approach? When I educate our children, is it classical education model, Charlotte Mason, something else? Homeschool or day school? Natural home birth or hospital birth? Do your kids read Harry Potter or not? Is your breakfast Pop-Tarts or is it homemade oatmeal? There's all kinds of issues like this. Using birth control or not? 
I think that's level three as well. Some of these things have a right answer in the Bible if you search Scripture. I think you, you come down on one side or another scripturally and you can make a case. Uh, yes or no on these things. Some don't. Our text here deals with food where there's a right answer. Either way, we're commanded to receive one another, even when we have different views and practices. On these issues, I think Paul's saying here, I think we can infer from Romans 14, it's more important to love and receive one another than it is to persuade others that we're right. Uh, Wilson, Doug Wilson likes to say that sometimes. There's a deeper right than being right. That, and that's definitely the case in this kind of context. Again, here in Romans, chapters 12 to 15, it's all about our response to God's grace, presenting our lives as a sacrifice to him, loving your neighbor, putting on Christ. How do we live together as Christians? So receive the weak. Uh, that's what uh, Paul is saying. So he just gave a list of some doubtful things there under point one of the outline. Receive the weak, Paul's saying. Uh, the weak, again, are those who have a thing against something the Bible does not oppose. Right? So, so they have a, con- a conscience that, that, is, uh, that is stricter, that is more sensitive than, than Scripture says it needs to be. Like the whole buying the meat in the uh, marketplace that's, that's got Artemis on it. And Scripture actually says, if that's a second-hand thing and you're not partaking in the, in the worship itself, you can eat that. But not everyone uh, can stomach such a thing. So when that happens, you tend to want to talk about it a lot. Right? The, uh, the new Christian who's, who's seeing some other Christians maybe doing those kind of things, it, you're going to want to talk about that and justify your position. And, and this is why there's, I think there's so much ink spilled on this in Romans, because this is a thing that's uh, potentially very divisive in the church, because the new Jewish Christian is going to challenge and ask questions of everybody else. Do you eat that meat that's at, at the Walmart, and the meat, that meat case part of it? Do you eat that? You can do that? Are you sure? There's all these questions, challenges, right? So those who know better need to welcome them, but not let their opinions on doubtful things define the church. That's what Paul's getting at here in verse 3. Well, uh, well, it should be verse 1, actually. The one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So, uh, the grace of God covers these things. Verse 4, God can make one stand justified and favored before him, even if they're wrong on any of these issues. <laughs> that, that's the issue. If I think it's wrong to drink grape juice in communion, for example, I need to remember that God favors and blesses those who do drink grape juice in communion. I need to view them as God does. They're beloved servants of the Lord. Uh, I, I can't be thinking on the inside Oh, they're, they're on the wrong road, they're on the slippery slope to disobedience, and, and judging, passing judgment, condemning. That's what Paul's arguing against here in verses 3 and 4. We don't want to condemn people, for example, who reject pedo communion or pedo baptism, uh, even though we teach those things. Again, that's, I think that's Peter's mistake in Galatians 2. Uh, Peter winds up condemning the unkosher Gentile Christians at the church potluck. Right? When, the, when all the Jews come along who say, oh, you've got to be kosher, you've got, you're not going to eat with Gentiles, but then Peter backs away from the Gentiles. And he, he kowtows to that. Paul calls him on it. Hey, you were eating with the Gentiles last week, but now that the, the, the stricter are here, it seems like you want to 
curry favor with them, so now you won't eat with a Gentile. And that appears to be a kind of a small thing, who, who you decide to sit with at the fellowship meal, <laughs> right? But Paul saw through what was going on. And what Peter was conveying was a, a lack of welcome to the Gentile believers. Uh, so Paul makes that a big deal, and it is a big deal. If you, um, this is kind of an ironic thing, but if you make a, a minor issue a major thing, that becomes a major thing. And if you make a minor thing, excuse me, the other way, if you make, take a major thing and you make it a minor thing, that also becomes a, a major thing. And now you're compromising on things you shouldn't be. Well, anyway, that's the principle. Receive the weak. Uh, and Paul uses the example of food and days. Uh, and again, these issues usually involve a spectrum from strict to more tolerant views. Right? Only vegetables. No meat whatsoever, because then I might eat something that was at some point touched in the process by Artemis. Right? So no, none of that. That's the strict side. Or the more tolerant side. You can eat anything. It doesn't matter. The stricter and the more sensitive tend to judge the looser and the less sensitive. And the less sensitive tend to despise the more sensitive. Right? So neither is allowed, Paul's saying in verses 2 and 3. And it's important, I think, in all this, apply that to your own life. You know, which are you? You probably have a tendency toward one or the other of these. Are you, do you tend to be more strict and sensitive on these kind of matters? Or, or are you more of a throw up your hands, eh, whatever, doesn't matter. And, and then you've got to watch out not to make the, the, the mistake uh, associated with that group, right? If, if you're you throw up your hands, whatever, then you're going to tend to look down on those who make a big deal out of something. So careful not to disdain Maybe there's something to their concern. Look into that. Or if you're on the, the strict side, then you want to be careful not to simply um, label and condemn uh, th those who are more tolerant and say they're just compromisers. Right? Receive the weak. Receive one another. Be convinced. Next point is in verse 5. Be convinced uh, in your own mind. At the end of verse 5, Paul makes that point. That's our next principle. That you should have a reason for what you do, even on minor issues. Right here in verse 5, it's all about what, what day do you esteem? Are you going to celebrate Passover or not, now that Christ has come? Well, that becomes a thing where it's no longer uh, an issue. We don't, the temple falls. We don't do that because Christ is our Passover. There's teaching about that. that we, don't, we don't celebrate the Passover anymore. We look to it for education, for instruction. It's in the Bible. But that's not something we have to do or, or even need to do to, to celebrate the Passover. So uh, be convinced. Uh, think it through. Don't just react against the world around you or how you were raised. And that becomes really important, right? Um, take some issue from the list I gave earlier, the, the pink hair, right? You're going to dye your hair pink. So usually what we do is we have some reaction uh, culturally for or against that, right? And, and we, we say, well, they're, they're dyeing their hair pink uh, out of some kind of motivation of rebellion, therefore it's bad, right? Or, well, they're just doing that as an artistic expression, it's not a problem. But whatever, we, we try to dissect the motives. Uh, be careful to, to run any kind of uh, speculations like that through the grid of Scripture. What does Scripture say about this? We, we should rethink carefully if we're doing something uh, that no one else in the church does, right? Consider tradition in, in this matter. Uh, God's word speaks of the tradition of the elders. Paul exhorts believers to receive that tradition. So tradition is often a helpful guardrail, 
But I had us read from Mark 3 for, for the other reason. On, on the other hand, the tradition of the elders was not to heal on the Sabbath. <laughs> to, to shun tax collectors and sinners. And that was going beyond Scripture. That, that was going against Scripture. And Jesus calls them out for it. So tradition is not an infallible guide, but it is a, a helpful guardrail. So be convinced in your own mind. Uh, Again, one of the points here is minor issues often still have a right answer. And it's not wrong to seek that out, to try to pursue that. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, commends the Pharisees, for example, for tithing out of their spice rack. Right? You tithe your mint and your, kill, your dill and your cumin. But you neglect the weightier matters of the law. You should have done the first, he says, without neglecting the second. So he commends them for getting it right on the minor issue. But you, get, you left the major issue, so you're straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel. So on minor issues, the, the, the right answer isn't necessarily the important thing. Uh, be careful to receive one another. God is our judge. Here's, here's the gospel point in verses 6 through 12. All this flows from the fact that God has received us. All that we do, we do for God to judge, not for others. You eat to the Lord, you don't eat uh, for the, for the uh, approval of other believers. It isn't for them to judge you on matters of opinion. It's not for ourselves either, verse 7. None of us lives to himself. It's not just, we just make up our own minds because it's too minor. No, we live to the Lord. Whether we live, whether we die. Everything we do... We do coram Deo, before God. Uh, so even those minor issues, we want to uh, be looking to the Lord how we should live. Your conscience isn't the final decider of right and wrong. Uh, we have to discern what our Lord requires of us and do that. Uh, verse 8 and 9, Christ lived, Christ died uh, for this reason, uh, to be our good Lord, whether we live or die. So Paul puts the most important thing right before our eyes. To show us the contrast. Christ died for you, for your brother sitting across the aisle from you. So what are you, what are you uh, giving him uh, piercing glares for because of this minor little thing? Careful. Are you going to separate from others over food or hair or medicine or whatever the controversy of the month is right now when Christ died for you and for him? So verse 13, the conclusion is, don't judge others. Don't decide, uh, excuse me, rather, decide not to cause others an offense. And, and you know, this, this is very easy to ha- have happen. Maybe it's happened to you. That being condemned by someone else over a minor issue has a way of doing that. It makes you, it really provokes you. It causes you to stumble. It causes bitterness uh, to uh, c- crop up very quickly, very easily have to watch out that we don't have that happen amongst us. So don't pass judgment. Don't condemn through verse 13. And then Paul says that we need to do whatever we do uh, for edification. Uh, edify one another. If your brother is grieved, I'm in verse 15 now. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Uh, verse 19. Let's pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So build one another up. So, in other words, work through such issues in such a way that you don't grieve or separate from other believers. Uh, the, the higher principles are peace and righteousness and joy and edification. 
Now, that doesn't mean you have to just roll over and just admit that the other person is right about everything. If they are condemning a practice as sin, which Scripture does not, uh, verse 16 is clear that 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 can't stand. Don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So there are some discussions you have to have, uh, but you want to oppose any legalism like that in love without grieving the weak, without flaunting your liberty as part of your arsenal against legalism. I've run into that fairly often. The, the folks who are allergic to legalism, uh, sometimes they go overboard flaunting their liberty. Right? Maybe, maybe they'll drink a little bit too much just to prove the point that we can drink against the legalist. That kind of thing that you have to watch out for. Uh, so I remember John Frame, uh, as he retired, he's a seminary professor, he said once, we are not seeking merely to validate statements, but to persuade people. And he was a theologian, and I have always appreciated his approach, where it's not simply a, a cold, abstract, propositional thing. We're trying to persuade people of the truth. Persuade in love, or you persuade in vain. Uh, so, uh, again, do we have liberty on this food issue? Paul asks, yes. Verse 20 to 23 makes that quite clear. Uh, should we press others to eat something that they don't think they should? No. Should you drink that in front of someone if it's going to damage their faith? No. So there are are, are plenty of times with issues like this where we want to uh, temper our behavior based on love for someone else as opposed to advocating a certain idea. Uh, Be be careful to protect the faith of one another uh, more than uh, seeking to advocate for the rightness of your uh, opinion on a minor issue. Bear with the weak. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Those with scruples, uh, bear with them. Uh, and not in a patronizing, self-pleasing way, right? Don't please yourself, he talks about there in verse 1 and 2. Remember that there are immature or in the wrong Christians whom God will make stand by his grace. Uh, and we have to practice conveying concerns to others without, uh, con- without condemnation. Sometimes that's hard to do in our day and age. If, if we convey any concern about someone at all, however graciously, it's very often taken as condemnation. That's, and that's difficult. We have to be careful when we're on the receiving end not to take offense just because someone conveys a concern to you. Hey, I've noticed that you're saying this or that and the other thing. I wasn't so sure that was the best way to do that. Oh, what are you doing condemning me for? We take up an offense right away when we ought to Uh, consider that and take that uh, as iron sharpening iron. Maybe the Lord's using this person, and and even if they don't do it the best way, if they can come across kind of condemning, condescending, well, maybe the Lord's using their imperfect way of speaking to me uh, to help me to see something I need to see. Uh, If someone's offended at how you share a concern, uh, take that seriously. Also had it before where... uh, you think of the culture around you as so thin-skinned. You know, everybody's taking offense all the time. So that kind of justifies me. I can be as callous and, and, and cruel as I want because people are going to take offense anyway. They just need to toughen up. I'm going to, I'm going to let them have it, and it's their fault if they, uh, if they take offense at that because people need to toughen up. Well, no, you need to be gracious in how you approach other people. Edify, speak the truth in love. Verse 3 of chapter 3 of 15, Christ did not please himself. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I think that's genius 
Uh, of course, it's inspired scripture, but, but consider the connection there. Why is he all of a sudden talking about Christ uh, having reproaches fall on him? Because in these matters where we disagree on minor issues like this, reproach is usually going on somewhere, and often both ways. We wind up reproaching each other. How could they possibly read Harry Potter? How could they, how could they possibly think that's a problem? It's a very reproachful kind of attitude that's happening. And Paul says, in those kind of situations where we're sinning each other, against each other in those ways, those are the kinds of sins Christ took on himself. Those reproaches. Jesus was humiliated and insulted as he hung on the cross. Those reproaches fell on him. So let's stop doing that to each other. Christ took that on himself. Jesus took it all on himself, so we can put such hindrances behind us. Instead, love and edify each other. So that's the the don't pass judgment point there. Uh, Principles and methods again. I mentioned this last time. Uh, We're defined by the principles, not the methods. So, and that's again where I think level two and three intersect. I would say that as far as Christian education goes, that's kind of a level two issue for us, where we would say as a church together, Christian education is an important thing. We would all say that. But how we, how we execute that is another matter. Right? And that's level three. Well, I think day school is the best method for that. Well, I think homeschool is. And we can have that discussion. But we all want Christ to be at the center of the education of our children. So that's level two. Level three is how are we going to get that done? So uh, another example might be the issue of, of birth control. Uh, the principle there that children are a blessing from God. Uh, some live that out by avoiding any kind of birth control. Uh, others manage the timing and the number of children in a way that isn't self-centered. Right? That's our concern when uh, birth control is used. But they're not, uh, we aren't defined by the method. We're defined more by the principle that children are a blessing. So that, that's, it's easy to define a church by the visible effect of the methods. Right? Uh, programs at bigger churches, gyms at bigger churches. It tends to define, to define a church. Right? In our case, maybe psalm singing or communion every week. Right? These are things that tend to make us stand out, these weird songs we sing. Right? That tends to define you. But that's, we have to keep that from being the major defining issue. That isn't our goal. I remember uh, listening to Alistair Begg preach a sermon once, and he had a, he's at a pastor's conference once, and a pastor comes up to him and says, So what's your thing? And Alistair Begg's like, what do you mean, what's my thing? You know, your, your thing. What's your unique approach to ministry? What's your message? It's like, my thing? Do I have to have a thing besides Jesus and the Bible? That's, that's my thing. Every pastor or church has to have a unique thing, apparently. But no, we actually want to avoid that being defined by level two or level three issues so much. We're all pursuing the truth and the gospel. So again, uh, Last week, I gave you that list of several things that, that sometimes those are our thing, right? And it's not wrong to hold unique views, but you don't want to define them your, yourself by them more than by the gospel of Jesus. So when somebody asks you, what's your church all about? What's your thing? Right? It's always a great opportunity to start with the gospel. It, it might fe- feel kind of weird to do, especially if you've you got a good sense they're a believer as well. But don't pass up an opportunity like that uh, to claim some common ground with them. Well, our thing is the gospel. 
Our thing is forgiveness in Christ's death on the cross. You can then go on to say some, some of your other things, but always start there before you head into the choppy waters of controversy. So uh, principles and methods. Ways to go wrong, uh, and I'll try to keep this short. There, there, I've got four ways you can go wrong. One is to make a minor issue too major, right? Uh, saying that you have to homeschool to be welcome here at CCLC. I think that's, that's making a minor issue, the, the method of homeschooling, too major. The Pharisees did this with Sabbath healing and with other things. It's the main reason why they, the Pharisees plot to put Jesus to death. I always love that irony in that passage in Mark 3. They, they're all upset that Jesus is, is life-giving on the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, they go out to the Herodians, who were, uh, were not believers, they're secular compromisers. And on the Sabbath, they go to the Herodians and plot how to kill Jesus. Think about that. Talk about violating the spirit of the Sabbath because of the minor issue of Jesus not agreeing with them on healing on the Sabbath. So don't make a minor issue too major. If you argue that rock music is inherently sinful or against God's design, it's fine to have that discussion. But do so without making a federal case of it, or you're going to wind up wrongly condemning people. Uh, make, uh, that's the first one. Don't make a minor issue too major. Uh, don't make a major issue minor. You can do that, too. That, that's why we're having this discussion about these issues, and it's difficult to get them all right, in the right levels, I think. But if you, I think if you say six-day creation is just a matter of interpretation, that it's not clear in Scripture, I, I think that's compromise. I think it's fairly clear in Scripture. There's evening and there's morning, the first day. In six days, God made the heavens and the earth. The seventh, uh, he uh, set aside. So uh, don't make a major issue minor. You, you can compromise in that way. And again, Paul does that with Peter uh, in uh, Galatians 2. When Peter separates from Gentiles, when the strict Jews show up, he's denying the gospel. He's denying the gospel there. He's saying, yeah, maybe Jesus doesn't love those Gentiles quite as much because they're not eating the kosher food. That's a major issue. No, Jesus Christ died for everyone in the room. We need to welcome everyone equally in that way. So don't make a major issue minor. And then there's also condemnation and compromise, other ways to go wrong. We can be divisive by always raising our pet topic and pushing it really hard. The weaker brother tends to do that. He's weak because he has a conscience sensitive to a certain thing, but the Bible doesn't specifically condemn that thing. And so uh, be careful not to let them condemn uh, the group over this minor issue. Or, the, or compromise. The stronger brother can disdain the weak and flaunt their scriptural freedom in front of everyone. We have to receive the weak as Christians instead. So God receives those who are wrong on many issues. That's something to keep in mind here. Uh, on these level three issues, on level two confessional issues, right? I, th I believe that God is going to receive many uh, Arminian brothers in Christ who are wrong about predestination and free will, but they're going to be in heaven f f uh, favored by God for eternity. Uh, same on these kind of issues. We need to rest in that freedom and give that rest to others. Uh, teach and debate and, uh, you know, talk about these other issues as much as we want to, discreetly, charitably, in the truth. Uh, but peace is primary sometimes over being right, believe it or not. 
uh, the trick is to know the difference when, when we're talking about a major issue where, okay, this is important enough that we need to separate fellowship over this matter. When does that happen? That's the critical question. So these level three issues are not core. They're not confessional. Uh, one way to talk about this is, is in church life together, uh, we, we all need to agree uh, to grant the other fellow his convictions about these things. We, we can talk about it all day long, but we're not going to tolerate promoting these things to the level of fellowship issues. There's a certain level of intolerance that the leadership has to have to, to foster tolerance. It's, it's kind of an irony, right? If you're convinced, let's use the homeschooling thing again. Well, let's use a different one. Um, homeopathic medicine natural uh, methods of, of medicine, right? If you're convinced that homeopathic medicine is, is the only option for a true Christian, or that that's the way we all do things here, and if you can't allow others to differ with that, we just might tell you to sit down and be quiet. We're not going to let that become a major issue. Even if I'm uh, open to and, and encourage the, the pursuit of homeopathic medicine. I think on that issue, I think you got a good point. I think we ought to consider those, those avenues, yes. But don't go telling everybody that that's the only thing you may do. So you see the, the, the difficulty there. Well, uh, Augustine had a good saying, in essentials, unity, in doubtful matters, liberty, in all things, charity. So when discussing these differences, we want to guard against dogmatic positions. We don't want to let roots of bitterness uh, grow up, spring up quickly. Let grace govern all of our discussions in these things. So that's the third circle, uh, the least important that I'm going to talk about. I, there's, you could add a fourth circle if you want to, uh, even less important things that, where there's just no right answer. Uh, I don't think we need to spend a whole sermon on that, though, you know, the color of the carpet, those kinds of things. Um, uh, yeah, okay, there's no right answer to this in the Bible. Let's, um, let's get mad at each other even less for those things, right? But one last time, one circle up, level two, things that define congregations or things that church leaders emphasize but aren't necessarily necessary to the gospel, right? Those, there are those things like covenant communion for our children, uh, reformed theology, these kinds of things. And then the first circle, of course, core to the gospel, things you must believe to be saved. So even in a sermon like this where we've dealt with minor issues the whole time, the, the gospel is central. Right? And you see that again in, in the text in verse uh, 8 and 9 and 10 of Romans 14. Uh, Christ died and he lived again for this reason, that he might be the Lord of the dead and of the living. So let's cling to that gospel. Let's receive one another as Christ has received us, uh, even though we were uh, imperfect to say the least, wrong about a few things to say the least, that Christ has received us. How much more should we receive one another? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, help us to uphold your gospel truth, to define ourselves by that good news of Christ, dying to take our sins away, rising to give us new life, ruling to direct us in your ways. Lord, there are many, many issues and opinions out there that can so easily divide us. Help us to navigate them in ways that build each other up. We do seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. So help us to know when it is okay to disagree, when to protect our neighbor's sensitive conscience, and when your truth is being compromised or abandoned. Lord, the world is rapidly changing. A moral revolution is taking place that is leaving your people more out of the mainstream of thinking in this nation. We pray that your spirit would teach us wisdom 
and clear truth on these things, that we may teach our children to understand them. Let us together not just shake our heads at the folly of the world, but be those who lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore his sacred name. We pray as Christ taught us to pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.